Okay, we're going to do a bit of a sandwich act. I'm going to be the bread, Stephen can be the jam. The sense on um, dynamic electricity is a BSRC centre, it's a collaboration between the University of Manchester and the University of Glasgow. Um, it aims, it says, it's going to track and investigate the changing ethnic inequalities in the UK and changing ethnic identities. Um, the first of its projects is a series of census briefings that we're going to sort of report back to you on, if you like, um, and that's co-funded by Brendan Brownfree. So I need to say that. First, other thing I need to say, diversity in the UK, actually we're not going to talk about the UK at all, we're going to talk about England and Wales because Scotland's um, census results are not coming out as fast yet as the others. So, let me just refer to some of the headlines so on the left, in spite of them being no information about migration within uh, the UK from the census yet. We already have headlines about white flight, but then we have counterposing headlines about what, what is this white flight, there's also brown flight and black flight and there isn't such a thing. On the right we have this new segregation issue. Now forgive me, but I seem to remember this new segregation issue cropping up regularly over the last decade or so. Um, but we also have, as you're saying, well actually if the segregation has been decreasing, or that segregation really that's a distraction, there are other issues with integration and diversity that are much more pertinent to be looking at. So what we intend to do, both through the briefings and through this summary, is to look at some of the evidence on these issues. Six briefings have already come out, and those are there, and there's the web address, and I understand you've got that on your sort of copy of the slide, and you sort of slide, walk and grab it on the way out, we haven't got it now. So that's where to look for, um, uh, for more detail. So the aim is to not to wait until the peer-reviewed articles are ready to get to the press, but to bring the evidence to the table and encourage media, policy, other researchers for whom this is not their specialist topic, to get up to um, speed quickly with what the census is saying on these issues. They're not the last word for that reason as well. Um, but they are from a group of researchers who now have three censuses under their belt. Mm -hmm. And so they do include not just the summary fairly crude analyses, but some quite considered analyses and repeats of the successful strategies for analysis that have been developed over the last couple of decades. So I'm now going to pass on to Stephen to go through some of the results and I'll take over to the end of the last of the results and get us all to that policy. Thanks, Lady. Uh, so I'm sure many of you will be aware that the, the census has asked <coughs> the question since 1991. And broadly across the last three censuses, the question has been the same, which makes it possible to compare the ethnic group data over time. But what has changed somewhat are the predefined categories listed here on the slide that most of us are expected to identify with. And so because these categories have changed somewhat over time, particularly between 1991 and 2001, it makes a slight issue of comparing over time because it is possible that people might have responded to different categories and therefore it's difficult to make a like-for-like -like comparison. 
So if you take, for example, an Arab person, perhaps in 1991 they might have described their ethnicity in the other category. In 2001 they might have described themselves as Asian other, whereas it's probably most likely that by 2011 they would have said they were in the newly created Arab category. So you can see how someone responding to a different um, response category can make this issue of comparability uh, problematic over time. Ludi has done work actually looking at the individual records from the census for 1991 and 2001, and generally shows that the level of stability in people's responses is quite high, although it does vary across uh, different <coughs> ethnic groups. And Ludi and I will be repeating that analysis using the individual um, level census data for 2011 when it becomes available. What the um, ethnic group data from the census allows us to show is that the population in England and Wales has become increasingly ethnically diverse in the last 20 years. In 2011, one in five people in the population described their ethnicity as other than white British. And as we said there, I said that the population of England and Wales and not Great Britain or the UK, uh, because the data for Scotland is not yet available and the data for Northern Ireland is being released separately from the data um, for England and Wales. But what we see here is that the increase in the population of England, where England and Wales from about 51 to 56 million between 1991 and 2001 has been driven by the increase in the population that we describe as the ethnic minority population or the black and minority ethnic population. But it's important when we talk about this population, this black and minority ethnic population or this ethnic group, um, ethnic minority group population, to look at the diversity within that population. And that's what the census allows us to do. And what we see is that for most of the ethnic groups that are measured in the census, there's been an increase in the, in the population of each of these ethnic groups in the last 20 years. And what we see by the, uh, the bar for 2011 there is that there's great diversity in the population this population which is often described as the black and minority ethnic group population. If we just pick out a couple of the interesting groups that have had the kind of greatest change over time, the group that has increased the most over the last 20 years is the African ethnic group, which has doubled in each of the last two decades and now accounts for almost a million people in the population which has perhaps largely been driven by an increase in immigration over the last 20 years. One of the groups that has increased mainly due to um, natural change, more births and deaths, is the mixed ethnic group population, which has only been measured since 2001, but in 2011 accounted for about 1.2 million people in the population. Ludi's talked about our, our census briefings, and the census briefing which has um, had the most impact in the media, that's been covered most in the media so far, is one that Ludi wrote on whether Britain has plural cities. And we define plural cities as local authority districts in England and Wales where no one ethnic group is in the majority. And we identify Slough, Luton and Leicester as being the first local authorities outside of London to become plural in 2011. We've complemented the data for these uh, cities, towns and cities that we identify as plural on ethnic group with data that's been released for the first time in the 2011 census on national identity. <coughs> and what that data on national identity allows us to show is that these plural towns and cities are not becoming any less British, even though they're becoming more ethnically diverse. In fact, in the case of Luton, 81% of the population in Luton described their national identity as British, while I think about 46% of the population described their ethnicity as white British. And so what that tells us is that the ethnic minority population in Luton and every other uh, of the cities we identify as being plural, most of the ethnic minorities in those towns and cities identify with a British national identity. 
It won't surprise many of you that the local authority district in England and Wales that we find to be most diverse is Newham in East London. And Newham is really interesting in that in Newham, no one ethnic group measured in the census accounts for more than a fifth of the population. So you have to count uh, four groups before you reach 50%. So Newham can be described as an area of super diversity, arguably. What, what might surprise some people, though, is that the growth of the ethnic minority uh, group populations has actually been greatest in those areas where they're currently least clustered, where they're currently least represented. And we see this most starkly for the African ethnic group, who, the African ethnic group, a fifth of that group's population in 2001 was concentrated or clustered in three London boroughs. I think they are Newham, Southwark and Hackney. But between 2001 and 2011, the growth of the African ethnic group in those three boroughs was less than 20%, compared with more than 100% in all other parts of England and Wales. So what that tells us is that the African ethnic group is becoming more evenly spread across England and Wales. And this is a pattern that we see for most of the other ethnic minority groups measured in the census. And something that we can see here from the slide, where the, uh, the yellow bar for the less clustered districts is greater than the bar for the most clustered districts, it's indicating that the group is growing faster in those areas where the group is currently least uh, represented. A lot has been made um, of the census results, um, particularly in relation to the decrease in proportion of the white British population in London and other uh, cities across England and Wales. And uh, Ludi picked up on the uh, press articles around white flight. And white flight has been, in our opinion, um, kind of lazily used as an explanation for this decrease in the percentage of the population in places like London. But actually, no one can really say whether white flight is occurring or not at the moment in relation to the, the period 2001 to 2011, because the census data, um, the, the migration data from the census data is not yet available. But what indications show from previous censuses and other work, um, well, indirect measures that we can uh, calculate using the 2011 census data indicates that white flight doesn't really appear to be a correct uh, explanation for the decrease in the percentage of the white British population in London. What the general trend of migration has been in the past 30 years for the population, whether that be ethnic minority groups or the white British population, has been a process of suburbanisation, a movement away from uh, central urban areas to more suburban and rural areas. And in London, the white British population tends to be most concentrated in those districts in the outer, in the outer boroughs. And so as the white British population suburbanises, so let's just take this theoretical example here, the white British population is moving out of the areas like Barking and Dagenham, which are on the borders of London, moving out into places like Essex, they're suburbanising and moving out of London, and therefore that's probably what's explaining the reduction of the uh, white British population in London. But if we take ethnic minority groups, let's assume that the blue area there represents Tower Hamlets and we're looking at the Bangladeshi population. The Bangladeshi population, as they suburbanise out of Tower Hamlets, they're moving into places like Newham and perhaps Barking and Dagenham. So you can see how the general trend of migration of every ethnic group is towards suburbanisation. And the ideas of white flight or minority self-segregation are not really accurate in describing the migration trends that are occurring at the moment. What we can do using the data from the 2011 census, though, is calculate measures of segregation. And here we calculate the index of dissimilarity, which is a measure of segregation which tells us how evenly spread one ethnic group is compared with the rest of the population. 
But what we find for all the ethnic minority groups measured in the census, that in the urban areas in England, whether they be in London or other metropolitan areas like Manchester or other large cities like Leicester, we see a decrease in the level of segregation between 2001 and 2011 for each of the ethnic minority groups. Again, the African group is, a, is, a, is an interesting example <coughs> in, that in, in, the, in the large cities in England and Wales there's been a substantial reduction, a 20 percentage point reduction in the level of segregation of that group in other large cities. All the data that I've been describing so far tells us how, as a nation, we're becoming more mixed residentially. So whether you live in East London or you live in Cumbria, you are more likely in 2011 to be living next door to someone who is of a different ethnic group than you than you were in 2001. But what about mixing within the household? What, the, what this slide shows, the two maps here show, are households that contain people of more than one <laughs> ethnic group. So we can describe these households what contain people of multiple ethnic groups. And we can describe these households as multiple ethnic group households. And unsurprisingly, the greatest concentration of these households tend to be in London, where in some London boroughs, more than a third of households contain people of more than one ethnic group. What's really interesting from the map on the right-hand side is that the growth of these areas is actually greatest in areas across England and Wales. So not only is the population of England and Wales becoming more mixed residentially across the whole of uh, the country, but also in terms of mixing within the household, the areas of greatest increase of mixing is also greatest in all parts of um, England and Wales. I'm going to hand back over to Ludi now, who's going to take you through some of our more uh, detailed findings on national identity, um, as well as talk about some of our more recent or to come briefings, as well as end on some broad uh, policy conclusions. Um, it's been a focus of successive governments on shared British identity, and the census of 2011 is the first one to include a question on what is your national identity, with the option of choosing amongst English, Welsh, Scottish, uh, Northern Irish, British, and other and the option to choose more than one of those. And so here's the sort of summary of the results of this from a briefing introduced a couple of weeks ago, authored by Stephen. We like to talk about each other's briefings. <laughs> it's divided up on the left-hand side all those who chose British identity and nothing else. On the right-hand side, those who choose, chose no identity related to the UK, or one might think of foreign national identity only. The second, sort of pale green, is those who chose English identity only, and not anything else. And the smaller orange one, for those who chose Welsh, remember this is in England or Wales, Welsh or Scottish or Northern Irish, or, or a combination, or any combination of, and that's not so many who did that. So first thing to note is a sort of great difference between the white categories and the other categories. So white British, white British ethnic group do not choose British as a national identity, whereas minorities in Britain do tend to choose British national identity. The other side, there are relatively few amongst minorities who choose foreign national identity only. And, and those who are more likely to do are the groups who are more recently immigrated into Britain and the white Irish and white other, which includes Eastern Europeans. <coughs> the English is chosen particularly by white British, but also by the mixed groups and amongst the minority groups 
as identified by the census, the Caribbean group. So one might think that though there is a different attachment to national identity from those born in Britain in particular, of generations in Britain, which is a more cultural attachment to the place English, in England where they live, whereas those minorities who are more recently immigrants or immigrants themselves or children of two parents who were immigrants are more likely to put that official and political connotation on their Britishness that they have gained through immigration. And let me just reinforce that this is the age structure of those who chose only a foreign national identity and it mirrors very much the age structure of recent immigration into Britain for many young adults. So I think we can say that those that's recent migrants were most likely to have uh, a national identity that isn't identified with the UK. So, moving on quite briefly, we had a, a look in another uh, briefing on how can we count immigration, also at a variety of measures of integration. And I want to say a great deal about this, only to say that 20% of residents in England and Wales have a minority ethnic group affiliation, according to the census. Over a third of those were um, born in the UK. Half, over half have a national identity that is associated with the UK, usually British. Over half don't have an overseas passport. Over half don't have a language other than English as their main language. And among those who do, three quarters are bilingual. That's important to, to remember. So, future briefings. These are the ones we expect. The age and sex structure uh, will be out hopefully next week. So, um, if you have a look next week, there'll be a seventh briefing up there. Employment inequality will be the next one, and then a whole series over the, the summer. Um, I should say one thing that all of these data are available for local authorities, not only in Wales. So, some of our briefings look at the geography, others don't. But for your information, uh, it, it is available. Here's a preview of something from the employment inequalities briefing, looking at unemployment over the past decades, which has decreased and the differences have decreased, but still the majority of minorities have over twice the unemployment in white British population in Britain. And it's undoubtedly the case that minorities on average in Britain suffer worse employment conditions, health conditions, housing conditions, suffer racially aggravated crime. At the same time, the number of white British employment, unemployed in the census, is one and a half million, which is three times that of all the minority unemployment put together. And that dual understanding, I think, is quite important in policy terms of return to. So, before I go into the last few slides on policy, I just want to say that these data are under threat. I think it's something that you, you will hear about over the summer and particularly in the autumn when the final consultation on options for a census or not a census uh, in 2020 will be out for 
discussion. Um, and it is important to realise that all of these analyses will not be done unless an alternative to the census that provides that rich detail at local level can be found. So, implications for policy. This is a difficult bit, really, because these are sometimes clearer and sometimes not so clear. So, what I'm going to say is my sort of attempt to spark a discussion and my understanding rather than things that clearly are uh, followed logically from, from the data uh, without a doubt. Um, then, just three slides. So, two things is in your own work, in my own work, I try not to add to the fire of assumptions about what you pull it apart, because that's not the case. The evidence clearly shows that that is not the case. One needs to be more relaxed about the trends we have and not to slow that far. Second thing, what I just mentioned a moment ago, to find ways of accepting that, that duality of clear evidence of inequalities and discrimination in there, and the existence of conditions that need improvement across the board that aren't related to ethnicity. And those are not either rules, they're simply the context for the policy that needs to be in this way. Second slide, things like when I looked at it before, I'm not going to talk about this, I felt much more sure of myself. What I'm trying to say here, I guess, is that a lot of the evidence from the census says it's not ethnicity that drives people's behaviour. There are common behaviours, common aspirations in housing, employment, the kind of neighbourhood and environment one lives in that are at the basis of people's behaviour rather than their perceived boundaries between themselves and others described by ethnicity and so forth. And in that sense, um, the, the work of integration is, is community development in a very common way, are not particularly different from other kinds of community development. And by that, for example, the ethnic profiling of areas may have some use, but it has limited use. And um, when one's thinking about resident integration there, and I meant into uh, suburb, suburban areas, because where there is most issues of integration in my mind, given the evidence from the census, is not in the most diverse areas, but in the areas that are affected by the changing demographics, which are on the edge of the most diverse areas, which are the next to change, if you like, because of the changing um, diversity of Britain. And that's where the most concerning and most work is. <coughs> and none of this is to say that the work of increasing understanding through contact between schools, through contact between communities, between interfaith work and so on is not important. Of course it is. And so I just want to finish on the most, the clearest message is to say use those data. They are so rich. They are so useful. And this time round, I think probably because of the influence of the Home Office, which I think there are, there are, people, there are, there are a lot more data than there have been in past censuses, including on language, which in my mind is, is an extremely practical and important contribution that the census can make in local areas, not just at national analysis, as we've referred to, um, and allows the targeting of services to local areas on the basis of perceived and described uh, uh, conditions, whether it's in 
child care, health services, employment conditions, or in funeral and services behaviour, which some of those are related to ethnicity and religion, and that is important to take into account within policy. So let me finish there. Thank you very much, Stephen.